You may be seated, my friends. Wow, what a great song, Pastor Mark. Thank you for finding that. And I want to dismiss the, the little ones who are holding on to their mamas and their daddies right now to go to some wonderful adults who love them and will help them to know that Jesus is trustworthy. That song fits so perfectly, my friends, with where my heart has been in the last few days. I, I've been asking myself the question, what difference should Easter make four weeks later? I've been wondering if there's somebody who lives in the town of Soma, Turkey, who can say, the resurrected Jesus Christ understands your pain as they have buried now 300 miners this last week. Does the resurrected Jesus understand that kind of pain? Or I'm wondering if there's someone who is close to the man who's just been elected in the largest election ever in the history of humanity in India. More than 500 million people who cast their vote. And a government change is taking place in the largest nation on the planet. Is there someone who's holding on to Jesus who's a confidant of that new prime minister who's going to be able to speak God's truth into his life? I'm wondering, is there someone or several someones who know the moms and the dads of those 200 girls that were abducted in Nigeria, who's speaking to them that you can trust Jesus, hold on? Is there someone who knows that Christian wife in the Sudan, who stood this week in front of a tribunal, and she was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging? And her crime? She had become a Christian. And in that place, it's against the law to leave Islam and become a Christian. But she said, but I trusted Jesus as a little girl. My father was a Muslim, but I made that decision long ago, and that's why I married a Christian man. She's a doctor, and she's pregnant with their first child. And so the executioners have said, we'll wait until the child is born and weaned, then we'll kill you. Because in this place, you cannot become a Christian. Or how about in California, where is it now 10,000 people who've had to evacuate their homes because of the wildfires? Or how about right here in this church? On Friday night, a miracle took place here. Women and girls from our county came to listen to a former model speak, having no idea that Jesus was here. And as he walked through this place, he touched the heart of 20 of them, and their lives changed in this place. They'll be forever different. Or how about Tyson and Jenny Ray? I think it was either Wednesday night or Thursday night in the middle of the night, Tyson, uh, Jenny's father, Galen, a, a dear friend, began to feel strong heart pains, was rushed to the hospital in Wausau. Two arteries completely blocked and another one 80%. And they said, you shouldn't be alive. You should not have survived the ambulance ride. He's going home today because he's been holding on. So how about you? What have you been holding on in the storms? What storms have, have engulfed you and you've held on to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and it has sustained you? Think back. Even just this last week or 10 days, is there something you could jot down in your notes that, that are in the outline that would remind you that Jesus has been sustaining you? You see, the question is, if Easter is simply a wonderful historical story that we celebrate every year in all kinds of different ways, including Easter baskets and eggs and chocolate bunnies and things like that, 
If that's all it is, then turn this building into a shopping mall. We don't need this. But if it's true, and the resurrected Jesus Christ is still today unleashing his power in the storms of life, then this place isn't big enough for what God wants to do in the years to come. Do you agree with that? Since Easter, we have been looking every weekend into the stories that the disciples who became the authors and others left us of the appearances of Jesus, where he was proving himself to be alive. Today, may I give you the last two? Because next weekend, we start our 100 days of summer. Last week, we were on the beach. You remember? We were in John 21, and Jesus was having breakfast with his friends. And he and Peter reconciled, and Peter's heart changed. Evidently, some days later, you come to Matthew chapter 28. I invite you to turn there with me. Matthew was the first of the disciples to write his story, and it was widely circulated. And you come to the very end of his gospel account, chapter 28, and Jesus and the disciples rendezvous again. This time not on the beach, but up on the hillside overlooking the beach and the lake. We don't know exactly what hillside. Maybe it was the one where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. I've stood there in that place that they claim is that place. Maybe it was the place where, you remember, Jesus had talked a long time to a large crowd of people, and he said to his disciples that day, boy, these people are hungry. We've got to feed them before we send them home. And they kind of laughed and said, are you serious? Where could we possibly find enough food for all these people? Well, let's ask, who's got food? And Andrew brought a little boy, you remember, with his little lunch? <laughs> and Andrew said, but how far could that possibly go with all these people? Oh, yeah? And Jesus took that little lunch and lifted it up and thanked God and began to divide it and multiplied it, and 5,000 men, plus the women and children, had supper that day and collected 12 huge baskets. Maybe it was that hillside where they were. It tells us there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, that when the 11 disciples and Jesus rendezvoused, do you see what it says there? When they saw him, they worshipped. I doubt that that meant that they did what we just did. There probably wasn't a piano and drums and guitars on the hillside. So what does it mean they worshipped? We ought to understand that. Americans are among the best worshipers in the world. We build stadiums for worship. And when the teams come on the field, we worship. Uh, you see, worship means uh, celebration. Worship means giving uh, adoration and praise to those that you think are, worship, uh, are worthy pardon me, of your celebration and your adoration. We are great worshipers in America. So my guess is when they were there with Jesus and looking out at the lake, one of them said, Jesus, you're awesome. I remember the storm out there, and I think it might have been right about there. In the middle of the night, you came walking on the lake. Wow, that was amazing worship. Jesus, I remembered uh, right over there in, in, in Capernaum as they were looking down over it. He healed people there. Story after story as they celebrated him for his majesty. But do you see it says not all of them? Do you see what it says right there in verse 17? They worshipped, but some doubted. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that's there. There was only 12 of them on the hillside, Jesus and the 11. Some doubted. That means one of the, or more of the disciples who had been with Jesus all that time, had seen all the miracles, doubted. What do you suppose they doubted? 
Well, they couldn't doubt that he was resurrected. He's right in front of them, talking to them. <laughs> they touched him. So what did they doubt? Do you suppose they doubted that he was who he claimed to be? Could it, could it really be possible that God is sitting on this hillside with us? Really? God in the flesh? Some of the things that he had said were preposterous. You really can be forgiven of my past sin by trusting in you as my Savior? Really? That's possible? Really? You, you can reach inside of me and cleanse me from the, the residue and the stain and the darkness of my life? Really? You will really place your Holy Spirit in me? Really? Some doubted. Any here today? We're doubting. And then Jesus said, all authority. I wonder if he raised his hands like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I wonder if one or more said, yep, we've seen it. Lame people walked. Blind people saw. You even raised dead people. We, we've seen it. No, no, it, it, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. Really? Yeah. Sometime later, Paul wrote, do you remember? To the Christians in Philippi. That, that he has been given, Jesus, the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow. Where? In heaven, angels. On earth, us. And under the earth, one of the ways that it spoke about the dark kingdom, the demons. Every knee will bow because he has all authority. And do you remember when he wrote to the Colossians? Paul said, he, Jesus, the creator of all things, things seen and things unseen, the sustainer of all things. He's the glue that holds it all together. He has full authority over all. So why would he say that? Because their lives were about to change with what he said next. Look out over the lake, fellas. You're not fishermen anymore. <laughs> You're not doing that tax collector thing anymore. The rest of your life is defined now differently. Therefore, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's probably what your translation says. May I give you perhaps a more accurate translation? Therefore, I'm empowering you. As you go from this hillside and for the rest of your lives, wherever you go, as you are going, make disciples. Reproduce yourself. Help others to become what you are becoming among all ethne. Ethne? All peoples. If you'll take the Digging Deeper that I write for you every week, it's out there at the doors, as you know. I, I unpack that for you, and I introduce you to a website that you may never have noticed is there. It's called The Joshua Project. These are a group of people who have been trying to understand what is ethne, people who are distinctive by their language and their culture, and they have identified 16,588 ethnes in the world. 16,500 of which 6,000 are still unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're going through life, recognize that not everybody is exactly like you. <laughs> but I love them all, and I died for all of them, so they could experience what you are experiencing, fellas. So as you're going through the normal routine of your life, tell the story, your story, 
my story. Help them to understand how I have changed your life. You're different than you were, right? As you're doing that, some will trust me. I'll change their lives. Baptize them in the name of the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have them stand in front of a group of folks, their family, their friends. Have them tell the story of how I've changed their life. Then plunge them down into the water. In so doing, they'll be associating themselves with my death and burial. Raise them up back out of the water. They'll be associating themselves with my resurrection. As the water runs down off of them, they'll be celebrating that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for them and they have been forgiven, cleansed of their sin. Amen. Baptize them all over the world in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, if you'll take the digging deeper, I'll unpack that, the Trinity, for you. It's unique to Christianity. This week, Ryan Cardinal came in to see me. Ryan and his dear wife, Sarah, uh, lead our ministry to our collegians. So if you're fresh back, college students, welcome back. And Ryan and Sarah lead this venue that meets on Tuesday evenings. They'd be delighted to have you. And Ryan says, Pastor Doug, we got about 10 of our collegians or college-age folks who'd like to be baptized. Amen. Uh, we've got a baptism service in the lake in August, and we could have another one here in the church uh, soon. No, no, no. He, these are college students. They want to be baptized in the lake now. Ryan, Ryan, the lake is 48 degrees. Yeah. Ryan, who's going to baptize these people? Yeah. We'll clear the ice if we have to. Because these college students want to stand and say, my allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He has redefined my life. Amen? Yeah, let's praise God for that. That's right. That's right. Thank you, right? Yeah. You see, I think what Jesus was saying to the fellows on the hillside that day, fellas, if you're going to make a difference in this world, things have to change. You have to see yourself. You have to see me. You have to see the people that you know differently. Start with, fellas, your passions. What are you passionate about? Can't you just see Peter looking out at the lake? The lake. Boats, fishing, fish. Anybody know a passionate fisherman in this church? Yeah. Do you see Jesus saying, fellas, it's when your passions get lined up with what God is passionate about. Then you'll find your life redefined. So what would happen if every day for the rest of your life and mine, as you swing your legs out of bed in the morning, you ask the question, God, what are you passionate about today? And God, when you take a look at my life and the things that are on my agenda for today, the things I'm excited about today, am I excited about what you're excited about? Or are we going in two very different directions? As you're going through life, let your passions impassion others about things that really matter, about life change. Amen? Oh, and fellas, your priorities. We all have them. How closely do your priorities in life line up with the priorities of God? As you look at how you use the resources that God has given you, every day ask yourself, God, at the end of the day, did I use my time today in the way that honored you, that you wanted me to use my time? God, did I use my thinking ability, my emotions today, in the way that you wanted me to use them today? 
God, did I use my finances? Any penny that I spent today, it's yours. Did I use it in the way that you wanted me to use it? Are my priorities in line with you? Because, friends, do you see that as we are going through life, if our passions and God's passions are very different, if our priorities and God's priorities are very different, we are not going to be making disciples. We're not going to be drawing people to Jesus, will we? It's not written there, but I think Jesus was saying, fellas, especially in this place someday called the United States of America, most people's passions and most people's priorities are going to be for the accumulation of stuff. I read an article the other day that in the 1950s in the United States, the average house was 973 square feet. And there was no such thing as a storage unit that you could rent to, to store your extra stuff. Not one in the whole country. Everybody was able to put their stuff in their house. The average size of a home in the United States now is pushing 2,000 square feet, and there are 50 million storage units. 50 million rentable storage units in the United States of America because our houses can't contain our stuff. We are passionate about accumulation, aren't we? We are also passionate about attracting the affirmation and the applause of others. Please tell me you love me. Please tell me I'm doing a good job. Please tell me that I uh, meet your approval. We are even passionate as a nation, are we not, uh, about collecting the things that we hang on our walls and put in our bookcases that celebrate our achievements, our trophies. So I invite you this week, along with me as I'm doing it, to look closely at the passions of my heart. How much are they affected by this national American dream? And how much are they affected by how much God loves you and me and longs for the brokenness of our world to be affected by a people who are passionate about Jesus? Huh? And then, fellas, I think Jesus might have said, sit here now and look over this area that is so familiar to you. This is your home, many of you. Why are you here? Why do you think God bothered to make you what is the purpose of your life? And when you come to the end of the life and you look back, how do you want to answer the question, what was my reason for living? You see, fellas, the more that Easter, the wonder, the majesty of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the more that it consumes your heart and your mind with an understanding, it'll change you. Jesus will change you, and then he will be able to work through you as you are going through life to change the world. And by the way, fellas, I will be with you always. I wonder if right then one of them raised their hand, but sir, a couple weeks ago, we were together in the upper room the, the night before you died, and you said you'd be leaving us, but you, you wouldn't leave us as orphans. You said you'd be sending us another counselor, and now you just said you're never going to leave us. I, I, I don't understand. That counselor, the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, I'm leaving you. I, I need to leave, you see, because if, if I'm here, I can only be in one place at a time. But when I send the Holy Spirit, he will be in you, all of you, each of you who has trusted me. And wherever you are, we can affect our world. What happens when we send high school graduates from here to college campuses and those three things happen? Well, when it comes to spring break, one of them at UW-Madison says, I'll go to the beaches. 
not to get a suntan, but to be salt and light on the beach. Thank you, Eric. In fact, come over here, my dear brother, just so we can see those golden locks. That's just amazing. (laughs) This is what happens when you go to college and you can't find a barber. (laughs) But we're glad you're here, brother. We read that email that you sent us about what God did on the beach, but that wasn't enough. What's happening this summer for you? Well, in a couple days, I'm going to be going on a summer mission project with Crew, also known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, I'm going to be out in New Jersey um, for the summer doing ministry out there and doing a lot of community building and uh, evangelism on the boardwalk out there and stuff like that. That's so. awesome. You're, you're going, you told me, to Seaside Heights. That's yep, the place Seaside that was Heights. destroyed by Hurricane Sandy. Yep, yep. It was destroyed by Hurricane Sandy um, over a year ago, and then it, it also has been more recently um, affected by a fire. It was a lot of, yeah, a lot of the yeah. boardwalk was re-damaged yeah. in that, so it's going to be interesting uh, getting there. It's going to be great. I've been on that boardwalk. There's a lot of crazy people on that boardwalk. Yeah. Be ready. Yeah, if, if, you, if you've ever seen the TV show Jersey Shore, that's exactly where we're going to be. It's pretty... <laughs> Pretty crazy place, but, but looking forward to seeing what uh, God will do there. That's so. so awesome. We want to pray for you, my good friend. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Praise God. God, thank you for Eric. Thank you for what you're doing in his life and many of our collegians who are doing exactly what you said to the disciples. As you're going through life, make disciples. Protect him, please. Empower him, please. In Jesus' name, amen. That's so great, brother. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, last Monday, I get an email from one of our teenagers. Good morning, Pastor Doug. I'm not sure you know who I am, but my name is Keely. I'm a teen who attends Calvary. I attended the service this weekend, this was last weekend, and I walked away changed. You were talking about how we can make a difference when Jesus makes a difference in us, and during the service, I got an email from a friend. Attached to the email were some links, and so I looked at the links. It's amazing how God connected the email and the links with your message. It changed my life. I'm different. I looked at it. It's powerful. I want you to see it. And for those of you who might be watching us on the live stream, uh, because of licensing agreements, we can't let you see it, but you can go online and look at it. Go onto the YouTube and Google Matthew West Do Something. Now watch this. Would you agree? So say it with me. Right now, it's time for us to do something. Let's say it. Right now, it's time for us to do something. That's what Jesus was saying on the hillside. I'm leaving, you're staying, and for the rest of your lives, as you are going through life, make disciples of all peoples everywhere. As they come to know me, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have taught you because my truth that I have taught you will set them free. My truth that I have taught you is different from all other truth. Teach them all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Can't you see them saying, but where do we start? What do we do? The answer to that question is this. Before you can do anything for God, you need to be. You need to be in relationship with Jesus need to be a blood-bought son or daughter of the Most High God. Amen? Before you can be, you need to know. You need to know God's truth. You need to know God. Jeremiah chapter 9, 
Verse 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, his wealth, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands God. Before you can do for God, you've got to be for God. Before you can be for God, you've got to know God. Several days later, they were together again. This time, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was more than 60 miles walked from there. That'd be like walking from here to the far side of Rockford. They did it frequently. And it tells us in Acts chapter 1, the last time that Jesus was together with his friends, if you'd like to turn there with me for just a moment, in Acts chapter 1, they were together on one occasion having a meal together, and he said to them, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift that my father promised that you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They said, are you finally going to be establishing your kingdom? These were people who desperately wanted the good old days to be back. The good old days of King Solomon in particular, where times were good. The temple was freshly built. It was wonderful to live in Jerusalem. They were hoping that this Messiah would bring back the good old days. He said, it's not for you to know the dates of the times that my father knows. It's not about that kind of a kingdom. More than a hundred times the Gospels quote Jesus as talking about the kingdom of God. He had brought the kingdom of God here. As he had lived out among people like you and me what it means when God lives here. He brought the hope and the help of God to the world. And now he was saying to his close friends, now I'm entrusting it to you. You get the privilege of doing the same. Bringing the hope and the help of Jesus to the world. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and you will be, before you do, my witnesses. You'll be ones who can tell the story of life change because it's happening to you. You will be a people who see pain and brokenness like you've never seen it before. You'll be attracted to the people that other people push away like you've watched me reach to the lepers and the tax collectors and others. You'll be willing to be in the painful places bringing the hope there. You'll be my witnesses. First right here in Jerusalem. Then Judea, the province. Then Samaria. And right as he said that, I wonder, ooh, no, not there. Jews didn't like Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't like Jews. But yes, there, because Jesus loves them, and to the ends of the world. Almost a year ago, we hung a new flag. It was the flag of Mongolia, as we sent off Jim Riedel's daughter and son-in-law, who had been in China. Next week, we're going to hang another flag, Kosovo, or as Lydia pronounces it, Kosovo. And a few weeks after that, we'll hang another flag, Mali. But you don't have to go to Mali or Kosovo or Uganda to make a difference, right? As you're going through life right where you are, be. Be my hope in a broken world. Be my light in a dark world. Because I'm going to empower you, Easter empowerment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be different. I'm going to empower you to live life to the fullest. It's our theme verse this year, right? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I'm going to empower you 
to live life to the fullest. Do you feel like you're living life to the fullest? Immediately, maybe you thought, no, there's more I would like to accumulate. There's more applause I would like to hear. Living life to the fullest, making a difference in our world, his difference, huh? I'm going to empower you to push back the darkness. I wonder if Jesus was looking forward to our time and saying, every one of us in this room knows at least one or more people who are living in a marriage that they wish they weren't in. It's broken and it hurts. Push back the darkness because you know that person. You can speak the hope of Jesus into that person's heart and mind. Amen? You can step into that broken home situation. Amen? We all know families where the children don't want to go home at the end of school because home isn't a happy place. Push back the darkness. Many of you work in places where you don't look forward to Monday morning because that workplace is not a happy place. There's wrong stuff going on there. There's cheating and there's deceit and there's anger. Push back the darkness. I'm going to empower you to push back the darkness wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play. I'm going to empower you to actually be representatives of God, ambassadors, Paul calls us. As you become new creations in Christ, as you're going through life, you will represent God. Sounded amazing to them. Could that really ever happen to us? Dr. Luke tells us they went to the Mount of Olives, and as he's talking to them, he started elevating right in front of their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. He was gone. He's not coming back anytime soon. This is definitive. This is a total change now. Now we understand we have been commissioned out to make the difference in the world that he was making when he was here, and we'll be empowered. But when? Dr. Luke tells us, Angels appeared and said, what are you standing looking up into the sky for? Well, that's kind of a silly question. But I wonder how long it took them while they're looking up and one said to another, I don't know about you, but I got a crook in my neck. What do we do? He told us to wait. Let's go back to Jerusalem and we'll wait. And they gathered together, Dr. Luke tells us, more than a hundred of them. What do you suppose they did? I think they told the stories. It was a kind of a great big Thanksgiving family reunion. They told the stories about Jesus, the memories that they had. I think they broke out in song from time to time. Clearly they prayed. Dr. Luke tells us they prayed. They were waiting. How long do we have to wait? What's it going to be like when the Holy Spirit comes? They didn't know. As I was studying this, a picture came into my mind from last week. When we saw the picture of sitting on the shoreline and Jesus had called out to the fishermen who had fished all night and hadn't caught anything, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will. And Jesus gathered all the fish, or at least a good bunch of them, 153 to be exact, under the boat. And they dropped the net and caught a huge catch. While these folks were in the upper room, Jesus was doing exactly the same thing, but not with fish. All across the Roman Empire, he was gathering people, hundreds of thousands of them. Shavuot was coming, Pentecost. And all good Jews from all around the Roman Empire were coming. They'd been there almost 50 days before for Passover. Now they come again. A great festival that unites them. I have a feeling that those in the upper room, the disciples and the others, they were thinking, hurry up. Whatever this Holy Spirit thing is, let's go. We've got things to do. 
You ever find yourself getting ahead of God? I've been there a whole bunch of times. Almost always his timetable is much slower than mine. Let's, let's get this done. The day's wasting. And then I find that he's been doing this. He's been preparing the situation for the timing that's just right for him. And then it happened. It sounded like a freight train was coming into town. They didn't know freight trains. Tornado coming into town. A great violent wind, it says. And tongues of fire that appeared in the room where they were that settled on each of them. And the Holy Spirit of God moved into each of them and began to transform them, change them as new people. A crowd gathered outside the house. They went out and they started speaking in languages they had never studied. But the crowd had come from all over the Roman Empire. They knew those languages and they were hearing the story of Jesus told to them in their own languages by fishermen from Galilee. David and April, you're going to do that. Lord willing. French will come into your mind and your heart in a special way. C'est pas mal. It'll work well. As the Holy Spirit of God empowered them, they told the story of Jesus. There was confusion. Peter stood up and said, let me explain this to you. And 3,000 people said, yes, yes, I trust that he is Messiah and were baptized. Amen? Now, as we close, I've put six statements on the screen today, and I've invited you to ask yourself the question, is it me? Am I empowered to live life to the fullest, and am I doing it? Am I empowered to push back the darkness? Am I doing it? Am I empowered to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and am I being one? Are my priorities in line with God's priorities for me and my life? Are my passions the same as God's passions for me and my life? Is my purpose in life as I see it the same as God's purpose for me? I invite you, my friends, to wrestle with those six questions this week. Because, may I suggest to you, it is no different for you or me than it was for them. Easter. God is wanting Easter to be real and powerful and vibrant in our day. Where almost one billion of us now live around the world. People whose lives have been changed by Jesus. As they gathered together in that room, they were experiencing community. Koinonia. Next weekend, we launch the 100 Days. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing is inviting you to read some books, at least one, and you see the list is in your worship folder. I urge you to look through it this week. We'll have stacks of all of them here next weekend for you to be able to get one or more. Another part of our summer is going to be community. We're going to invite all of us to make some new friends, to, to get into groups where we care for one another. We learn about each other's stories. We understand the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, and we welcome new people that God brings to us. If you'd like to join with me and others in helping to lead one of those groups, there's an envelope for you out at the Welcome Center. We're meeting this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Come and we'll help to unpack that for you. What does that mean to lead one of those groups this summer? Now, let's talk to him for a minute before we go from this place into a broken world that needs Holy Spirit-empowered people. Why don't you thank him for the wonder of Easter? Why did you thank him for the truth, the life-changing truth of the death, the, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
Why don't you thank him for the truth of the Holy Spirit? And, and friends, if for some reason you feel that at least one or more of those six statements is not where you are in your life journey, then why don't you ask him right now to help you with that? Invite him to step into your life with his majestic power, his life-changing power, and help you see what needs to change so your passions and your priorities and your purpose line up with his passions and his priorities and his purposes in our world. Help him to see what, ask him to help you to see what's standing in the way of you living an empowered full life of you actively pushing back the darkness where you live or work or play or go to school and of you living an empowered ambassadorship life. When you ask him to show you, he will. And then, my friends, invite the risen Lord Jesus Christ to deal with that and to change your life. We worship you now, Lord Jesus.